0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one.
1: Welcome to the 100th episode of The Future of What? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rock Stars. For this occasion, we held a live taping at the awesome rock club Holocene here in Portland, Oregon, with four panels featuring an array of prominent speakers from musician Peter Buck to city commissioner Chloe Udaly. It was a great event, and I want to thank everyone who was involved. I'd also like to say that support for the future of what comes from MerchTable. Since 2002, MerchTable has operated and managed online stores for hundreds of successful musicians, record labels, comedians, artists, and small businesses. Big or small, set up shop today by visiting MerchTable.com. I've really enjoyed making this podcast so far, and I'm looking forward to the opportunity to speak with more great musicians and industry folks about what they do and how they do it as we go on into 2018. But right now, we're gonna hear from the original Rock and Roll Camp for Girls, and then a panel on what it takes to be a lifelong musician. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange. You're listening to The Future of What. We're talking to Christy Balzer, Catherine Paul, and Kaylee Murray of Rock and Roll Camp for Girls. Joining me on stage tonight, I have the lovely ladies of Rock and Roll Camp for Girls. The Portland original. So, who's gonna give me the who's gonna give us the little speech? Is it gonna be you, Christy, about the elevator space What speech? is Rock and Roll Camp for Girls what for rock and roll camp none for of us girls?
2: since we actually all do know that, but still. Everybody knows what Rock and Roll Camp for Girls is, right? Everybody should. They should. Right. Everyone in rock the room. Rock and Roll Camp for Girls is a nonprofit organization founded right here in Portland, Oregon in 2001 by Misty McElroy, who was a Portland State University student. Her vision was to create a safe space for all girls, regardless of gender identity, to be able to play whatever kind of music they wanted, to be able to be loud and to be able to be creative amongst one another in a safe and supportive community. And we've been doing that every year for almost 17 years. We've served over 3,000 girls. We've delivered over, I don't know, $150,000 in tuition assistance. Because our biggest goal is to make sure that every girl gets to go to rock camp so no girl is turned away due to economic difficulties. So every girl gets to go regardless of where they sit in life. We want them all to be a part of this organization. And we want them all to go out into the world and create change and be a positive influence in their community.
1: So Kaylee, give us a lowdown of how rock camp goes. It's one week in the summer. And what happens?
3: Yeah. So one week, kids eight to 17, they can be total beginners, intermediate, whatever, they learn an instrument, they can pick bass, drums, guitar, or vocals. They learn an instrument, form a band, write an original song, and then perform at a real music venue for their family and friends. So in just one week, they do all of that. And it's just a huge project for them, You know, creating a piece of art together, a lot of compromise happens. Yeah, so it's a journey for sure.
1: But And also, the other stuff happens during the week, too, because you guys have bands come and play so that the girls can see real women rocking in real bands.
3: Yep. Usually three or four days out of the week, we have a lunch show of a female-fronted or at least 50% female presence band. Uh, We also do a number of workshops, media literacy, self-defense. You know, we live in a country where the president is telling people to grab girls by their you-know-what, and we are saying... No, that ain't happening. You, that happens, you, we got, we're going to give you some tools to react to that. So, um, you know, we just equip them to deal with the world. You know, we just try to give them agency and show them they can be brave. They can put their ideas out into the world. It's, you know, it's a, it's, we use music as a vehicle to ultimately empower girls and get them to work together and build each other up and Yeah, ultimately, just become badasses and create change in their communities.
1: Absolutely. And we have one such badass right here on the stage, Miss Catherine Paul. So do you want to tell us your Rock Camp story?
3: Yeah.
4: (laughs) Hello, everyone. My name is Catherine Paul. Most people call me KP. Maybe I'll say my day job. I work at Mississippi Studios in Revolution Hall. That's my day job. But my volunteer job, I'm the chair of the board of directors for Rock Camp. And I first started out as a camper going to camp learning the drums. I grew up on a small Indian reservation in Northwest Washington State. And I didn't really know, like, at that time, like, when I was in, in my teen years, a lot of music except for Nirvana. But that was, like, the gateway to, like, learning about Riot Girl and all these other amazing, like, women musicians from the Northwest and also from Portland. And so I went to camp because I was like, this is amazing. Like, I would never really had anyone to, like, play with or to bounce ideas off where I'm from. So I came here, and I've been coming here ever since, volunteering and teaching drums. And then now I serve on the board, and I fundraise for the camp.
1: So we see what starts with just a, you know a whim, like, oh, I'm going to go to this fun camp and and hang out with other girls, can turn into a lifetime in the music industry, yeah, (laughs) if you're lucky. (laughs) So Rock Camp does a gala event every
2: year, a fundraiser,
1: and Christy, can you tell us about that? That's coming up.
2: Sure. A few years ago, we started our gala fundraiser. It's called the Amp Awards, and our goal is to honor musicians who put the amp in camp those musicians who are out in the world breaking barriers down for marginalized communities, for opening the doors to women in music, and who have inspired us throughout the years. So we've had uh, honorees like Sue Ennis, and China Forbes and Maggie Vale and a variety of other folks. This year we are honoring Janet Weiss from Sleater Kinney. And last year we started another award called the Legend Award, which I'm really passionate about. Our Legend awardee is someone who has has had a direct impact on camp, someone who came out of our program and who continues to work in the music industry and inspire young women to do great things. Last year we were very privileged to honor Fabi Reyna, who started She Shreds Magazine and was a camper at Rock and Roll Camp for Girls. And this year we're honoring the band Pie Fight, who came up out of our Ladies Rock Camp program and who continue to volunteer at camp and help us out throughout the year. So the gala is on November 3rd at the Eco Trust Building. There are still a few tickets available. Janet will be there, and we'll have a drum lesson by Kaylee. And Zia McCabe from Dandy Warhols is going to be DJing. So it's going to be an amazing event. I would encourage everyone to come. It's just going to be a lot of fun. What do we get to wear, Christy? Rock and roll chic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I can't remember what I wore last year, but I, I remember that I can't fit into it anymore this year, <laughs> which is
2: okay. That's cool. But it was good last year.
1: So this year will be something completely different. I'm excited. Absolutely, yeah, It's a great up.
2: chance to put on leather and yeah. come out for the evening. Absolutely. And I just think I love KP's story because it's reflected in so many of our campers who become campers, come back every year, we're one of the few programs where kids get so addicted that they come back year after year after year and then they join our intern program, and they learn additional leadership skills being an intern, and they get to be peer-to-peer mentors to those other campers. And then they graduate at 18, and they go on to be volunteers, and they come back still year after year and are a part of our program. So we're building a community, and we're building an army of strong, proud, empowered women who are gonna change the world, and it's the best thing ever.
1: Woo! Woo! That's an excellent last word. The only thing else I would add to that is girlsrockcamp.org. Go there, donate, sign your kids up. It's awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Portia. Thanks, Portia. That was New Scars by Bangs. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes and leave us a review. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. Want an even closer look at issues we talk about on the show? Our monthly newsletter will keep you informed about news, upcoming events, episodes, and more. You'll also have access to exclusive offers and behind-the-scenes looks. Sign up at killrockstars.com slash what you're listening to The Future of What. We're talking to Cool Nuts, Laura Veers, Peter Buck, and Corin Tucker. So this panel is about being a lifelong musician. And the reason that I wanted to have a panel with you guys is because it is really fun to be in a band when you're like 20. Right? It gets harder as you get older. I mean, I know this and I'm not even in a band anymore. I'm just old. So can you guys, I just wanted you guys to talk about, you know, what kind of changes do you make in your life when things are different? I mean, everybody on this stage, I think, has kids, right? And it, things get harder when you have kids.
5: You know, I, for me, when I was younger, the whole music thing, it was life and death. You know, if things didn't go right, there were fights. You trash things. It was, it, was just, it was insane. And now that I'm older, it's just life. You know, it's got good parts and bad parts. You try to ride through the bad ones and do the good ones as well as you can. And, you know, it's harder physically, but it's easier because it's just so internalized.
2: Oh,
1: wow. So you think maturity just really helps the whole process? I'm not
5: claiming to be mature. (laughs) I'm old.
1: I don't know. I, I don't think of your band when you were in your 20s as particularly violent, but I hear what you're saying. I know what you mean about the emotional agita, because we all were, we all did that. Laura, I wanted you to speak specifically because I know that when you first had kids, when they were babies, you did something interesting when you would take them on tour, like where they would sleep.
6: I'm not sure what you're referring to, like underneath a soundboard in the room next door, or no, no, um,
1: like in a dresser drawer in
6: That's the hotel, right. or in the closet, in the place right right next to the stage. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it it requires some creativity to take children on tour, but in our situation, it's with a van. It's not like a plush tour bus or a private jet. But with babies, I think it's a really easy thing to do. I mean, it's, it was hard in the moment, but in retrospect, I can see that babies are portable. They don't really cry that much. They just need food, and I've got that, or I had it. They just need some sleep and some cuddles. So it's actually a great thing to do if you want to have a kid and be a touring musician. I think it's, a, it's an easy thing early on. But then later it gets hard because they want to have their own life, have friends, go to soccer practice, go to school. So that's where I am right now. Yeah. (laughs) They are not coming on tour. Yeah. Did you find that easy, Corinne, when
1: your kids were littler?
7: Did you go on tour with them at all? Oh, yeah. They've been... My kids are 9 and 16 now, so they've both been on tour whether they wanted to or not for a lot of their lives. And I think... You know, there's different stages that are, you know, times that are difficult, like Peter said, times that are just like, I can't believe I'm doing this, and your bandmates are looking at you like, I can't believe we're doing this, you know? And then other times, actually, when they, having the kids around is the best thing ever, and everybody likes it, and we're all kind of this big family, and, you know, everybody enjoys having the kids around so it's 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 all of that it's all of the above yeah
1: I have this memory from something I read years and years ago about Van Halen with Sammy Hagar going on tour in a bus that they called the Toys R bus do you guys remember that was that only me that read that story I I don't know but but because they were traveling with all their kids and mm-hmm. it was just everybody in a bus and tons of goofiness so I guess it could be you know fun at one point point. So what are the other, I mean, I, I think you just sort of nailed the whole thing, Peter, because I think emotional maturity is true, because it's probably true in any job, right? But there's something about being a musician that is different, right? Because you're putting yourself out there as an artist in the world, and that's very vulnerable. And so that part remains, right, no matter how old you are. Do you guys find that that gets easier or harder or changes in any way?
5: On a personal level, I feel like I have more to prove, you know, I can still do this. You know, I'm good at this. And you know what? I'm really f-ing good at this. And you're going you're gonna to pay attention or else. And you have to have that feeling, even if you don't really feel that. You know, I, I quit drinking two years ago and, and alcohol was a really good part of getting that up. And now it's caffeine and, you know, digging into whatever youthful anger is left and trying to, to put it out there. Do
1: you think, what do you think, Ness? Do you think it was easier when you were younger? Do you think you had more of that youthful angst to drive you?
8: I think it was more youthful passion. Like, now it's it's not, like, that young passion to get up every day and be in the studio and write music all the time. But then, like, they were saying, when you have kids, it's a different type of environment. Like, I can't, it's, I could be writing a song and my son comes in the room and, as much as I want to keep writing music, I want to play with him, you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like you're torn between those two worlds, but at the same time, I learn a lot from from my kids as well in terms of making music, some songs that, that they hear and I get in the car and they'll tell me to put on some of my music versus what's on the radio. And, and it's like he said, it, it almost with... I have a seven-year-old and a 14-year-old, so and of course, my 14-year-old is more the barometer of what's hot. Nowadays, and what's popping. So, when they validate my music, it's like he said, it says again, like, I'm still here, I'm still relevant, I still should be doing it. And I'm like, again, I I agree with him, like, I feel like I'm better than I ever was, and I have stuff that needs to be heard, not so much I want it to be heard, it needs to be heard. But those are the things that change, like, you know, for me personally.
1: What do you think, Laura? I mean, the drive to write, you know, because, one, I mean, it's got to have changed from before you had kids to now because you just you don't have the same kind of privacy. I mean, I'm thinking about my own life here. You just don't have, I can barely, like, you know, get the dishes washed half the time.
6: What do you mean? You don't have a perfectly just, clean house? <laughs> Tell me more. Just, no. just like,
1: you know, it's like, okay, let's, let me put it in a different term, No, I right?
6: completely understand. <laughs> okay. I, I have a huge pile of laundry just in the middle of the floor right now. I don't get so. to
1: watch all my Netflix shows anymore, is what I mean.
6: Damn <laughs> yeah, it! Right. So, I've had to let some things go. Like, I also got a robotic vacuum, which I, I should probably start working for that company because they really work. They just hope can the you get a sponsorship from them? I should. DBot, man, that's where it's at. So, um, yeah, the v- robotic vacuum helps. And then um, <laughs> just setting the time aside, like, okay, that's what I've always done. But now it's very much like tiger, like, don't mess with my time. Like, that is my four hours, and I'm going to do my thing, and I'm going to write, like, 15 songs in four hours. And then we'll do that again the next day. And th- that's an exaggeration, but for me, like, that's my, my process is to write a lot, like, sometimes five songs in one day. And by that, I mean those songs are the same lyrics, but different melodies and different music. So that I can choose the next day, like, okay, well, that one hit the mark. That's great that I had five choices because the fifth one was the one. Or, oh, the first one was the one. You can just get a feeling from music. So for me, it's more like a factory. And I'm, I'm, the, I'm the person at the factory and going in and clocking in, clock out. And so, actually, it turns out to me to be a pretty family-friendly job being a songwriter and the bulk of my income comes from my songwriting publishing and my ongoing sales of songs that I've written years and years ago because I've written 10 records. So I feel very grateful that I can write in the morning and then like maybe start making dinner at two o'clock before I pick up the kids from school and then, you know, have the afternoon with them and then, you know, the night goes on and then the next day it's it's sort of it's very regimented, it's almost like militaristic, which in a way I think is weird, but maybe I should have been a military sergeant. <laughs>
1: I don't know, sometimes, that feels, sometimes it feels like that. So what do you guys think? Because I'm, I'm just thinking about, you know, when you're in your 20s and you're in a band, and it, I mean, it's somewhat different for people who are in a band and people who are solo artists more specifically. Although, even when you're a solo artist, when you go on the road or when you go in the studio, you're working with other people. You know, it, it's like, I feel like those days were so exciting. They were always exciting. Like, it was exciting to go to the practice space. It was exciting to play shows. It was exciting to get in the van and go on tour. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years into it, is it still exciting? Is it still fun? Is it still, are you like, man, I really want to see those people? Or are you just like, oh, Jesus, this is my job?
7: I'm still really excited. I mean, you know, granted, like, slater Kenny broke up for eight years, so maybe that helped. You had a break. (laughs) But it's still, like, I mean, there's real bummers parts of it that are you're like, oh, we have to get up and do what today? You know, really long flights and the travel is always kind of hard. But I'm always excited to play a show. I love performing, you know, I always love doing it. And even if we're not getting along that great, when we get on stage, it's game time. You know what I mean? And then it's like for that moment, I think you have to rise above, and we and we always do, even if it's not the most amazing show or it's small or there's weird stuff going on. You know, it's you have to have that that real passion to feel like this is what I should be doing. You know, and I feel like most of the time I find it.
1: was Words and Guitar by Slater Kinney. Support for The Future of What comes from Merch Table. Kill Rockstars has partnered with Merch Table for almost six years now, and they've come through for us in a lot of ways. Like when the comedian Kurt Braunohler wanted a face towel with his face on it? Merch Table found a way to make this, and it's been one of our most popular items in our mail-order store. KRS loves Merch Table. You're listening to The Future of What. If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber on iTunes. We're talking to cool nuts, Laura Veers, Peter Buck, and Corin Tucker. Do you guys have any theories? This is just total speculation on people who stick it out and people who don't. Like do you have any idea what it is that makes you able to stick it out?
8: I think you have to have something to stick it out for, like in terms of like for me, I've been blessed to be able to provide for my family off of doing this so you can't be a grown person with aspirations of still because truth be told even for the music that i'm doing which is hip-hop it's young people dictate what's hot young i mean i'm not gonna be in the club in some tight ass jeans you know st- i'm i'm just saying like that's not me so it's like i'm making music that i like to make i want to go play shows that i like to play but I still want to make music that's me, but relevant. So it's 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 one of those things where you have to have something that fuels you to still do it when you got to come home to your family. Like the reality is, like I have kids that look at me to be an example as a father, even outside of the music. You know, it just so happens that music gives me the means to provide for them. So me going on the road, or me making records, or or me booking a show and stuff like that, it gives me the means to be able to provide for them, but also do something that I love to do, which is, that's a blessing in and of itself. So that's, I think you have to have something that gives you the ability, like she said, like when you have publishing checks coming, it's like, I can get up, do what I need to do for my kids, write some music, some checks are coming in, go pick them up from school, you know, tend to them, maybe write some music at night or something like that, but you have the means to still be older and still be a musician and be able to pursue. I mean, it still is a dream because it's like, music is fun, you know? It's, it's A lot of people would love to be doing music or making a living doing something in the music field. So that's for me, that's a, you know, that part of it is you gotta have something to, to, to do it for.
1: Peter, I've always been impressed with your ability to just be like an incredible road dog. Like you can tour, you have toured so much in so many different bands.
5: Yeah, you know, I have been doing this for 40 years and, you know, it's like, "Eh, I can pack in 10 minutes and I don't mind the van and I don't care about the hotel or the motel or whatever. uh, There was a reason I wanted to do this when I was 13. And I I try to remember that kid, that guy, that that's what I want to do. That, you know, I don't want to have a job. I don't want to wear a tie. I don't want to be like my parents and writing songs and playing them was part of it. And the idea that you could travel. I mean, you know, we we just played Chicago and Cincinnati. And Cincinnati isn't on anyone's list of glory places to visit. But I had a great time in Cincinnati. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you just... I mean, maybe it's nicer than I know. I have nothing to say about (laughs) Cincinnati. But it's... I don't find it even really physically that hard. I mean, it's... It's something that's, I've been training for since I was 13. Yeah. Right.
1: But the rest of your life does have to sort of allow for that. I mean, you do have to set up your life so that you can do that. The people around you, the people that you're married to and living with, they have to be like... Sure. Yeah. I'm cool with that. Like, do you, I mean, it's, I've heard both sides. Right? I've heard people say you have to marry somebody who is also in the same industry so that they understand you. And I've heard people say, no, you have to marry someone who's got a completely different perspective and you're just like doing this other thing.
6: Marry a doctor.
1: <laughs> did anyone, uh, nobody, none of us did that, did we? We didn't marry a doctor. I married somebody know? in healthcare. Oh, okay. Close. There you go. Close Good enough.
8: Good job. It works. <laughs> so Are we have mother? health insurance.
1: Yeah. There, see, because that's the argument. Marry someone with a good job so that you can go on the road. So, But, Corinne, you've
7: had a job every now and then,
1: a different job than...
7: Yeah, yeah, I still do work a different job just because, you know, having that other income and also just using my brain in that other way is can be really useful. And I h- lucked into it, something that was, like, super flexible, where they're like, sure, go on tour. Just bring your laptop, you know, like... What? Like, that just didn't, that wasn't a possibility when I was a kid, right? That you could be this, like, freelance tech person. But when we went on tour, Peter and I, for Filthy Friends, the drummer also has that job. She also, like, does freelance tech work. You know, it's sort of, it, she'd be, like, on tour, but in the morning, like, on the phone with her workmates, like, trying to sort out a tech issue. And other people, too, that we know, Jason, who plays with um, Dream Syndicate. Right, So he also is like an incredible guitar player, and he does like a tech job while traveling. I mean, you can do it, you know, you can do the computer stuff. If you hustle, you know, that can become part of how you make it work. So,
1: okay, now I have to ask you the hard question, at least this is the hard question for
7: me. So we've all been
1: in the music industry for a long, long time. The older you get, do you guys, are you still really excited by new music? Or just part of you go like, these damn kids. I don't understand this. What is this stuff that they're playing?
5: I tend to be more excited about stuff that isn't rock and roll. I mean, what I've been listening to lately that's new is, uh, because I like the Kendrick Lamar record, I kind of got into the people that were working with him and about the Kamasi Washington record, which is a And then I was like, oh, well, this Thundercat guy works on that. That's cool. So I bought the Thundercat record and then, Flying Lotus, and then it turns out he's, he's Alice Coltrane's nephew, and I love Alice Coltrane, so all of a sudden I'm sitting around the house listening to this stuff that generally younger people than me would be listening to, but I'm really excited because it's not people with guitars doing something that I did 30 years ago, you know, so that's what excites me, this something that's happening that's a little outside of my world and I can learn about it and, you know, pound it in my car while I'm driving from place to place.
7: Anyone else want to weigh in on that topic? I think Peter's a great example of someone who's just so curious about the world. And I think that's a really important thing, is that if you're a writer or you're an artist, you need to stay curious and stay interested in what other people are doing and just be open to be inspired. You know, like Frank Ocean's last record just floored me. I was just... And I didn't really know anything about him. You know, but it was like this combination of hip hop and just incredible singing, the writing, also the guitar work with Johnny Greenwood. Like I was just like, wow, I was you know totally inspired by something I didn't expect to be inspired by. And I think that's a really important thing of being an artist well past your youth is, is continue to continue to listen to what other people are doing and, and be inspired by new things.
6: Yeah, I mean, I, I listen to new music now and then. I also do a lot of reading. So I try to stay up on culture, mostly through reading, honestly. But Tucker, my husband, is also my producer, listens to new music all the time and is bringing it in. So we're hearing all a lot of stuff all the time. I love the new Sampha album. And I love how people are playing around with song structure and almost not having s- song structure anymore. And
1: Oh, you love that? I hate that.
6: So <laughs> That so really p- pisses me off. I'm confused. But I also do love it sometimes when I can see how how it can work, and then and then I'm challenged in my own writing to not have so much structure, but I inevitably move back to pretty structured songwriting. But it's neat to be inspired by young people and see what directions they're headed. Sometimes I cannot relate, but there are other times when I do truly feel inspired.
8: I mean, I think as a if you actually do music, you have to be, nowadays it turns over so fast that you have to be up on what's new in terms of just how music is changing, how fast people get it, how quickly they can access it. And I think like another thing is the, the ability to go on like Apple Music and listen to whatever you want to nowadays is, is crazy. Cause I remember just growing up, listening to music, we had to wait like months for the new Snoop Dogg album to come out and we plan a whole day around that one record and go catch the bus to 2nd Avenue, pick it up, go home, look at all the album credits Talk about everything, but now you can go to Apple Music and any given Friday. It's like ten albums coming out, all different stuff. Like I was at Tabor Tavern and I heard something over the over the sound system that I liked and I shazamed it. And so now it was Home Shake. Have you heard of Home Shake? So I heard the song and it was like Yeah, it was it was like funk but rock but like hip hop. And then I went and looked at the the album and it said indie rock or something, but it's a whole bunch of different styles that kind of come together and a bunch of like interesting stuff that he's doing or they're doing with the vocals and keyboards and stuff like that. So that was inspiring. And then also what else have I been listening to? Mora Masa I've been listening to that too, but like even, and then even with that record, like I was teaching my son how to ride his bike and I did a video of it and I put that as the music. And so every time I, I played it for him, now he asks, can I hear the bicycle song, which is more of Masa Firefly, you know what I mean? So it's like all of those things, I feel like you still have to be inspired by music, especially if you make music, because even if you want to be heard, some parts of your music does have to be relevant to what's current at the, you know, at the same time of doing what you love, if you want people to actually support it and buy it or, or it, Flow with other stuff that's out there when you're on tour or you're putting your music out. So that's my take on it.
0: Oh, those perfect conditions. What will we feel like when hours have gone by? Your instructions, see what you look like Make friends under blue lights Our cars are ambiance, love them like one of us Fevers and canker sores, I'll take your temperature Oh oh.
1: That was Ode to the Go Kart by Dirt Bike Annie. You're listening to The Future of What. If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber on iTunes. We're talking to Cool Nuts, Laura Veers, Peter Buck, and Corin Tucker. So, you guys are all lucky in that you have been able to make a living at this. And, you know, this podcast, The Future of What, is about the business of music, right? How artists make a living. And you guys have all been lucky in that regard and, you know, deservedly so. But I heard something the other day that just really bummed me out, which was that there's sort of this cultural feeling that people who make music don't deserve to get paid for it. What? Exactly. <laughs> and and I think the idea behind it, I mean, I heard that from a musician, and I think that the idea behind it is just that you're having so much fun. Like, it's such a fun thing that on some level you don't deserve to be getting paid for what you're doing because aren't you just having fun with your friends? Aren't you just out there in the clubs, you know, having a good time and drinking and doing all that stuff? And I just, I am I really would love to hear what you guys have to say about that because it, it really set me back. And I feel like my new mission with this podcast and in life is to also, you know, put out there, not only do you need to understand your business, but you also need to understand that you deserve to make a living when you do art. It's just, it's ridiculous. That's a crazy, crazy assumption. Yeah,
6: whoever said that's not a working musician. It's work. That's why it's called working musician. You think that it's fun to sit there and write songs six hours a day. I mean, it's hard. You got to plumb your soul. And, and like Leonard Cohen thought it was hard. He didn't think it was easy and he, he was really good at it you know, and you got to go out on the road and be on tour. Like sometimes you're driving like eight hours a day and then your work day begins. You load in and then you work for eight hours. So that's a 16 hour day. Like that's not fun. There are fun aspects to it. I don't mean to sound like sour grapes, but there's a lot of hard work involved if you're going to do this, especially for the long haul.
8: And I also think like, it's not only, not only just making a living, but being able to give people better music, better videos, better promotion, hire a publicist, go on tour, you know, to be able to improve on what you did the last time out. Because even earlier on during the CD era, when you knew that if you invested in your music, it would be a guaranteed return, nowadays you don't have that confidence of what that return is going to be like even my first four or five albums I always knew that I was able to from this album to the next one I could improve I I'm going to do instead of pressing 1000 CDs I'm going to press 5000 this time I'm going to I'm going to buy magazine ads I know that I can fund myself going on the road you know if we need to buy flights to south by southwest we can go do that to progress what we're doing so I think if especially as an independent musician it's not just about us of course feed my family is a big part of it but i can feed my family better if i'm able to make bigger and better ventures if i'm able to invest in myself more and and further you know what i'm doing and also give my fans a better experience of my music because it it doesn't get people want to see you progress they don't want the last album they don't want the last video they don't want They want things to sound better, the mix to be better. They just want an overall better experience from what you're doing, and it takes money to do it. You can't do, of course, the ability to record music got cheaper with the home studio, but at the same time, manufacturing it, promoting it, marketing it, and sustaining it, it still costs money to be in the business, so. So we should be able to make money.
7: I I don't actually buy the idea that that people don't think musicians should make money. I actually think it's a technology change. Because everyone loves music, right? Everyone loves music, but you know, like Nets was talking about when you were growing up, the only way you could get the music was to go down to the record store and buy it. Because that's the only way it existed, right? It was on albums. Then when I started making music, it was CDs, right? They invented this thing called the CD. And we were like, great, we'll make a CD and we'll put 16 songs on it. Everybody was like, great, we'll buy your CDs, you know? That was how we exchanged, you know, what we were doing. But when the technology changed and the MP3s came in, it was like, oh, I can get that for free because everybody's trading them for free, right? And so everybody wants that, but they don't have to pay for it to get it now so that that whole generation my kids have grown up my 16 year old has never paid for music and he doesn't have that expectation it doesn't it doesn't make sense to him cuz he can already get it for free so because that whole generation has come up with this new technology musicians aren't getting paid right and so that's the, that's the problem i think is it's it's the delivery and it's this, this, in this way that has been set up now where musicians are not getting expected to be getting paid from the music that they're making. Unless you get you get go out on the road, you get paid from touring. That's you know that's the way that people are making their money now for the most part. There are an exception of a few musicians that still make a lot of money. Adele, I guess, from putting out records. But I really think it's because of the technology change in terms of the industry in the terms of logistics. We're not in charge of that. We let them we let you know a lot of the major record companies be in charge of that, and they sold those rights, you know, and they, they make a you know slice of the pie and let the musicians have almost nothing. That's the problem. And that's what musicians have you know need to really fundamentally, if we don't change that, no, we're not going to get paid for the songwriting and the stuff that we're doing.
1: Right. But it was like, you know, in the face of the technology changes, I hate to think that people are also out there thinking, well, I don't deserve to get to get paid anyway. You know, it's like which which came first, the chicken or the egg? It's like, oh, we're not getting paid. So it's like, oh, I probably don't deserve to get paid. So I just want to put it out there that I think that that is and that artists do deserve to get paid. And that, you know, when we talked in the earlier panel of taking control of your business, it's like there may be smaller income streams now, but we have to find a way to to collect those and to get out there and, and, you know
7: absolutely bring them home but i think that i think that it's it's the younger generation that i'm talking about that needs to understand the human face to the, that those songs that they get on their phone you know because they are growing up in a totally different world right of interacting with music
5: my problem with the whole streaming issue is that all these streaming companies are owned by the same evil that used to own the record companies. And I guarantee you, the first person who ever pressed a commercial record screwed the guy who recorded it. And that went all the way down the line, and you look at all the names of the people that are involved in all of the streaming companies, and it's all of those that spent all those years screwing musicians. There was about... I was really lucky. I made my records in the 80s and 90s when people sold records and they paid you for them. But, I mean, it's a collusion between the really huge corporations going... We could take it all. We don't have to pay these guys any, you know? I mean, we're just going to own the streaming companies. Look, look into who owns all of them, you know? And I'm not going to name names because a lot of them are connected. No, I'm not going to. But, you know, look up, look and see who owns and is invested in these things. Some of them are record companies that I used to be on, you know? And it's it's the way it goes. The people that run the business think that what we do is not worth paying for, and that's where that starts. I mean, I looked online yesterday, and a video that we did had 64 million plays. I didn't really make it hardly any money off that. You know, it's like, really? 64 million people watched that video, and like, I don't have a Rolls-Royce? <laughs> I mean.
1: And that's part of the problem, Peter, honestly. I mean, one of the reasons I started this podcast was exactly that, to, because we have, the music industry has such a bad reputation exactly because of that because for years and years the major labels have been screwing artists and they've been doing it completely willfully and yet there's this whole other industry i mean as far as i'm concerned independent labels and majors are in two different businesses largely i mean there are some big indies as well and there's a lot of indies nowadays that are owned by people who used to work at majors but in general it's like the indie you know the majors are in the business of making hit songs and the indies are in the business of supporting lifetime artists like that's we actually want artists to be artists we don't want them to just be figureheads for some song that was written over here in a lab that was you know tested with 200 people or whatever they do i don't know what their witchcraft is but that's some sort of that they do and we don't do that and so that's why i wanted to bring i wanted this podcast to happen because i wanted us to you know i've, I've talked to hundreds of people i i'm friends with hundreds of people who work every day to help artists have a make a living and you know, publicists, independent publicists, and independent bookers, and everybody you can think of. So, thanks for bringing that up, because that's that was sort of the goal of this. Of this, and I think that's probably a great place to stop. And thank you guys so much for being with me on the hundredth episode of the Future of What. <laughs> and that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Bangs, Slater Kinney, Dirt by Annie, and of course our theme song. Mind Your Own Business by The Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash what and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next
6: week.
7: is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.